0: I'm Kim Grinnolds of dogman.com with Chris Fetters with a Tuesday morning podcast. Podcasts are going to start becoming a bigger part of what we do. We've been on CBS and 24-7 sports for a couple of years. and. They finally realized podcast is the wave of the future. So uh, expect more and more of these. We can get a lot more done on a podcast than we can in articles. It's not a substitution for the written articles, but uh, we can get a lot more in depth on the podcast. So start looking forward to that. Subscribe to us on iTunes and um, get your fix on Husky football, basketball and recruiting. Chris, start off with some basketball stuff since we've done uh, the last podcast. Washington got a new commit from a kid who, um, was down in LA for a while and, uh, went to Garfield high school, played for Jamal Williams on the rotary team, but, uh, Jerron Brooks, who was at USC last year, and he will be transferring to Washington. What do you know about Jerron
1: Brooks? Well, it's been a kind of a circuitous route for a guy that lives so close to, (laughs) so close to Montlake, but, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, came out of Garfield, and um, you know, was actually coached there by a couple of Huskies and Brandon Roy and Jamal Williams. And uh, you know, Washington was obviously hot on him early, and he decided to originally commit to St. John's. Which well, actually,
0: was, actually it was USC.
1: Was it USC then St. John's, and then USC? Then
0: decommitted. De-
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then went to St. Then committed to St. John's. Decommitted from St. John's and committed back to usc and from my understanding um at the time he decommitted from st john's he was real interested in washington but uh they kind of passed on him at that point in time after he had passed on them a couple of times
1: right so again this is a situation where you know you 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 wonder at the time what was he looking for was he looking to get away from home what were the what were the circumstances and the and the reasons why, but as you said, he eventually signed with the Trojans, spent a year down there, and then now, with some of the turmoil there with some of the stuff with the nCAA scandal um with the pay for play and all that kind of stuff and and Tony bland being a big part of that um you know and also I just don't think he he felt like he got enough playing time i, I he played in twenty eight games last year. And, um, I think he had a high of 11, if I remember right at UCLA. So, you know, he could have been a, a decent player in their squad, but, uh, obviously, you know, Andy Enfield didn't play him as much as Jeron had obviously hoped he would play. And, um, he was down there with, um, who was it? Kevin Porter. Kevin Porter. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, they had a couple of, a couple of guys from Seattle in there and, um, now neither one of them, obviously, are going to be playing for USC as Kevin Porter's gone pro and, and yeah. Jerron Brooks has come back to Washington. 6'8",
0: six, 6'9", six, 220, um, Every time I talk to Jerron, I kind of ask him the off-the-wall question because – Evidently, he's left handed pitcher and can throw in the mid 90s and being six, eight, six, nine and 225 and being able to throw you know, that hard as a left hander. You know, there's obviously going to be some interest there, but uh, he has no interest in returning to uh, baseball. But this signing makes a lot of sense for Washington with um, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels coming in uh, more than likely both of them are one and done or possibly a one and done and this is going to give Washington a little bit older guy on that um, on that uh, uh, front line with some experience he's really long and I think he's going to be a real valuable piece at some point and being able for him to sit out and just kind of blend in and get used to it I think it's going to be a good thing for the team coach Hopkins has really put together a nice program over there
1: he has and he and he certainly has gotten a number of different body types, but they're no question they're getting much bigger and much longer. I think what's really interesting about Jerron Brooks and I do think that, that not only is the year gonna help him in terms of his development, getting back into the swing of things, back in Seattle, uh back with you know, being with his friends and family and everything else, and, and obviously that's gonna be a readjustment, but Um, I think it's going to be a really good adjustment for Washington as well because Brooks is bringing a skill set to UW that they kind of just didn't have last year available. Now, they have bigs on their lineup like a Nate Roberts, for instance, who can go out and stretch and, and can play a little bit more out in the perimeter. But as you remember, Kim, the only real bigs that they had last year that were playing a bunch were Noah Dickerson and Sam Timmons. And those guys are playing in the paint they aren't going to stretch you. They aren't going to go out to the three-point line. I know Noah would fancy himself as an occasional three-point shooter, but uh, you know, he was best utilized obviously the closer he got to the rim. When you talk to guys about Jerron Brooks, you really get the sense that yeah, he can play inside or out, but he is one of those guys that fancies himself a three-point shooter. I think I remember he was around 36, 37% last year in the threes that he did shoot, which for a guy that is 6'8", 6'9", that's a decent percentage. And I would expect that that percentage would only go up the more playing time he gets. So that is something that is going to be a little different for Washington in terms of their makeup on the floor. So I think having the year to kind of figure out how they're going to integrate a guy who stretches out like that, because again, they're also going to have, like you said, they're going to have Isaiah Stewart. They're gonna have Jaden McDaniels. They're gonna have other pieces that are very comfortable playing on those wings and around the three point line, even though a guy like Stewart obviously is gonna be a little right. a lot more of an inside presence. Uh Safdie put
0: out on his Twitter yesterday that Washington had petitioned for um an early exemption so that Quade Green would be eligible earlier. He's the transfer from Kentucky, the point guard i don't think this is really news i've been talking about it for several months this has been in the works for quite some time haven't been able to really get an answer on what grounds they're petitioning uh for the uh eligibility but um we'll see um this is um like i said this was something that we've been known was going to happen for quite some time as of right now um without the waiver he would be eligible um in december i believe it is at the end of the quarter and he would be ready to play when washington heads to the diamond head classic i believe it's called over in hawaii he would be eligible for that but um obviously the petition would try to get him eligible at a sooner date again not sure the exact reason when i talk to some guys i'll find out what but again no surprise here this has been in the works for quite some time
1: yeah and i haven't done any research in terms of trying to figure out how successful these types of waiver requests are. I would imagine Washington wouldn't do this unless they felt they had a compelling case. Um, That's because they, you know, why would you go through the paperwork and the hassle? Um, A guy like Quade Green, obviously he left, left Kentucky after nine games. So, you know, and, and I was under the impression too that it was going to be mid December. Now I thought one of one part of Softy's tweet that was of interest to me was that he was making it sound like Quade wouldn't originally be in, uh, eligible until January.
0: That's not true. Uh,
1: yeah. So I, I I again, whatever his information is, that that is a little different than what we understood it to be. But again, if if Quade Green does get eligible, then all that kind of becomes moot. And um, what's going to be interesting, obviously, is what washington does with that point guard position if Quadre green is not eligible until mid-december or even january at the latest like pac-12 play um you know they could go obviously with elijah hardy who showed some flashes last at the end of last year looked like he could run it and then marcus sohonis is another guy obviously the true freshman from portland um, who's got experience running the point and could be kind of that combo guard um that you know, they could use in in that instance. So they right. have a couple of options, but clearly getting Quader Green eligible is the chief objective at this point.
0: Uh, and speaking of Marcus Shahonis, the point guard out of Portland, he's more of a combo guard, but's played point guard his entire life. He played with Rotary, he played with Jaden McDaniels. He also played with um Raekwon battle. And you had a chance to talk to former Husky, Jamal Williams, who um, coaches the Rotary team. He was the coach for those guys, knows them all intimately real well, as well as Jerron Brooks. Uh, give us a couple minutes on the conversation that you had with Jamal Williams.
1: Sure. And and I do have uh, on Wednesday morning, I'll have the information and kind of the analysis that Jamal gave me on uh, Marcus Sahonis And um, not to give it too much away, but when he talks about Marcus, and then you look back at uh what certain analysts had said about another kind of combo guard that was originally from the or from Oregon as well, you'll find some similarities, so again, not going to give it away, but uh you'll be able to tell reading the story it, it, it there's there's definite comparisons to a former husky as well. um I wanted to talk to Jamal initially about Jerron Brooks because Jamal coached Jaron when he was at Garfield his sophomore season, and then also his senior season. So he had two years of coaching up uh, Jerron and talked about his ability offensively stretching the floor, but also defensively being kind of one of those corner wings in the in the baseline of that 2-3 zone, that Syracuse-based zone that Hopkins wants to run. So again, it that length and that size is really going to come in handy, but he talked about how he's matured, how the year off, when he's going to have to u- utilize his red shirt year and transfer year, that's going to be a big year for him, but he says he's a gym rat. He says he's been calling him all the time already, trying to set up times to get in the gym and, and do some work, so clearly he's motivated, and um, you know, I wrote the story a couple days ago, Kim, about how Jamal was in a similar situation that Jaron Jer- finds himself in now because Jamal, if for people that don't remember, he was uh, at New Mexico and then transferred to Washington had to sit out a year and then came back and and happened to play New Mexico his senior year and and he talked about the motivation of wanting to 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 prove those guys that they made a mistake and and not being stronger with him and 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 really showing him that they could play you know with him and um, he thinks Jerron's going to be equally motivated, maybe even more so, because unlike Jamal, who played at New Mexico, Jerron's going to be playing against USC probably at least two or three times in his career, if not more, and he goes playing in the same league and everything like that, that's going to be incredibly motivating for him. So it was good to talk to him about Jerron Brooks. I already mentioned Marcus Sohonis a little bit. Jamal Williams also definitely talked about Raquan Battle and his ability to really, you know, put the ball in the net and be a streaky three-point shooter, like we've seen, um, you know, recently with uh, with Green, and then also going even back to C.J. Wilcox. And so, um, you know, they, he talked a little bit about that, and then also uh, talked at length about Jaden McDaniels. And I'll have that story out on Thursday. By the Ask way, tell me. people
0: what he said about talking to Jaden McDaniels.
1: I'm sorry you you broke up there, Kim. What oh, you say? Tell,
0: tell him what he told you about trying to get a hold of and talk to Jaden McDaniel. Oh, well, yeah, not eating.
1: to get, not to give it away, but I mean, there's it's it's been widely documented that Jaden doesn't talk much, and he's he's guarded and he's quiet and he kind of keeps to himself. And you know, he said he basically told all the coaches that were recruiting him that you know you might be on the phone 45 minutes with him, and if you get an okay, that sounds good. I I like that, you know, though, you know, if, if that's the, 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 the end all of the conversation with a guy like Jaden McDaniels, don't take it personally. He goes, you just, you're building the relationship with the guy. And so the, the best thing, he said, the best thing that coaches could do when they were recruiting him was to just be consistent and just, you know, make sure that he they were always there and available if he had questions. And he said, Mike Hopkins did a phenomenal job of recruiting Jaden in that regard. And he goes, I know you guys in the media will be talking to Jaden probably a few times, you know, when he gets to, to gets to school and things like that. And he goes, "You'll you'll see you'll see how it is," and he, he might open up to you guys a little bit. He goes, "But you know, he's just a, a soft spoken, shy kind of quiet, keeps to himself kind of guy." But he goes, "But don't don't you know miss don't be misled and think that that is somehow code for he's not a good teammate or." He's too aloof and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He goes, he's never had a kid at Rotary said say one bad thing about Jaden, said he's a phenomenal teammate. Um, the kids at Washington will love him. He's already got a bunch of guys that he already knows there. He's formed a relationship with Isaiah Stewart. He clearly knows Marcus Chahonas and Raekwon Battle from his time at Rotary, and he knows some of the other players as well. So he goes, he's he, he'll be bought in fully. If he does everything that Hop tells him to do and all that, he'll be well on his way to being a one-and-done because the talent and the skill is there.
0: Moving on to football, we had a chance to go up to Husky Stadium where they had their, I don't know what you call it, but uh, basically it was a big seven-on-seven tournament. Some of the best teams in the state were there. Some of the best talent in the state was was there. Uh, a lot of football coaches, all the Husky coaches had their eyes open. And... Uh, who stood out to you? Is there one guy, if I said, you know, gun to your head, who's the guy that you were most impressed with? Who would that be, Chris?
1: Oh, by far, JT to him allow. Um, <laughs> I mean, the guy is just an absolute freak of nature. I was talking to, you know, a couple of his guys and and um, just kind of seeing, you know, where where he's at. Because when you go to a seven-on-seven seven and you see that guy, it's like, well, I know he's going to be a defensive player in college. And uh, but you see him at tight end, you go, God, that guy is so supremely talented. He's got soft hands, those basketball skills with his footwork and all that. I mean, he could he could very easily be a top top tight end in college without without a sweat, without even breaking a sweat. So, so the guy is ridiculously athletic for being two seventy five, two hundred and eighty pounds. Well, he runs- doesn't look
0: that big until you get next to him, and then you realize if you stand next to him. He's a big dude. Yeah,
1: he's just no. He's just he's he's uh, incredibly athletic. Uh, arguably the most talented big guy that this state has produced, and they've produced a few guys that are that size, that are that gifted in terms of two-way, two way, two two sport talents. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's just crazy to watch him at work because, like I said, he he's not a natural tight end. He's not necessarily a natural route runner and all those kinds of things. But he he gets open. And then if if the ball's thrown his way and it's a fifty fifty, who's going to get in his way? I mean, seriously, who's going to get in his way? He's he he's literally just going to out battle anybody and everybody because he's just that's so much bigger and more athletic and more physical. And, and so it was fu- it was fun to watch him.
0: And from what people tell us, he's good enough to play D one basketball as well.
1: Oh, for sure. No, I mean, without a doubt, the the guy is um, a rare two sport talent. Um, this is the kind of kid that you would see in other parts of the country, especially like in California, for instance. Uh, it's rare that this kind of kid is coming from a Seattle suburb. And so that that's why it's fun to watch him because, you know, sometimes, and again, you know, I, I have no idea where he's going to go to school. I think Washington's in great shape with him. I think that they're recruiting their guts out for him right now. But regardless of where he ends up, I think people need to take advantage of of him while he's here, as long as he's here, because uh, it's going to be special, and he's going to definitely be—he's—he's he's a guy that's going to the league. I don't think there's any question. As long as his body holds up, he has all the talent to be a superstar in the NFL. I think already, and I and I just don't talk that way. I just—I would never project a guy that's a junior in high school that that would be already a guy that's that's signed, sealed, and delivered to the NFL. But I think if there's one guy out there that could be that I've seen enough of, it would be JT Tumalau.
0: Pete Kwiatkowski spent a lot of time with JT and his mom at the camp. So uh, it was a good thing to see his mom there. But uh, the one guy who stood out to me, Sam Heward, a special kid. Um, He's only 16 years old. I think he's grown to about 6'2 right now. He's probably about 185. And being 16 years old and looking at his uncle, looking at his uh, dad, you know he's going to get bigger and stronger. He works quite a bit at uh, Ford Sports, but I'm trying to remember since we've been doing this, if I've ever seen a quarterback as savvy in the pocket, just nothing seems to bother him and is accurate. It's almost like he walks the ball to guys, but he's got a quick release mechanically. He looks perfect, but boy, I mean, when I was watching him, I think he was five of six for four touchdowns (laughs) when I, when I was watching him and just throws such a nice, catchable spiral. He, you know, spins it really, really well. Um, he's seeing the entire field. Of course, he's got some guys to throw to. But, boy, I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen a quarterback as, uh, with as many skills and as many gifts as uh, Sam Heward has right now, Chris.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he's the number one guy in 2021 for a reason. I mean, he's put up the production and he's on pace to to get bigger, faster, stronger. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you look at his dad Damon, you look at his his uncle uh, Brock. You know, you look at the the Hewards in general. You know, those guys are six five, and you know six four, six five, and and right now he's what six two. So yeah, he's he's got still a, probably at least a couple more inches to grow, I would imagine. And um, he's already what one seventy five, one eighty. I expect him to be you know, 190 plus by the time he gets to Washington. And um, yeah, the, the future is incredibly bright for him. And you're right. He's got a couple uh, really good talents to throw to. I know Jabez today, he just got an offered from, uh, got an offer from Washington state. So that's indicative of the kind of guys that he's throwing balls to. But uh, again, you know, whether he's throwing them open or whether he's putting the, the ball on a, on a plate um, there's, there's something really special about his talent. And it's, I know the comparisons to Kellen Moore are going to get, uh, it's going to be beating a dead horse by the time he ends up signing with the Huskies. But uh, right now, it, there it's really hard not to look at him and see the comparisons, and and uh, I just um, I don't know what else there really is to say about it at this. He's point. quite
0: a, well. He's quite a bit bigger than Kellen Moore. Um, I think he's got a lot stronger arm than Kellen Moore.
1: Well, he uh, should get bigger than Kellen Moore. That yeah. there's no there's no question about that.
0: Yeah. Um, also, just a couple of other guys that really stood out, we had a chance to see Sawyer um, uh the kid from the wide receiver from Stillicum. Stillicum no, no, no. W-
1: he's, from, he's from Hawkinson in Vancouver.
0: No, also the kid from uh, Stillicum well, that we had a chance to see. Yeah. And then uh, also Will Latu from Bethel, and he was offered that Sunday. He was offered the day at camp. Touch bases on each one of those three.
1: Well, Will Latu, it sounds like he's getting recruited as an inside linebacker, but, you know, he was really, um, you know, he he played receiver as well for them, showed good hands, showed good route running. Um, you could tell he's athletic, but he's also a bigger kid, and, and so he's, he's a little sturdier built than his brother. Um, so it's just one of those things where I think, you know, the more we see of him, obviously, the more we'll get a better picture of of kind of how Washington envisions him. It's hard to really see that at a seven-on-seven camp when he's being recruited as an inside guy um, as opposed to, you know, like an outside backer or a corner or safety or something, which is really what the, the – it's a seven-on-seven. It's just a DB show for the defense Kim. So it's it's so hard to figure out on those guys. But um, the the kid from Stillicum, um Emeka Igbuka, that kid if you if, if you know outside of JT to him allow, he was the most impressive guy for me. Um, I could see why 24/7 sports has him as the number one rated athlete for the 2021 class. Um, when you look at heward to him allow, and him, I don't know if there's been a better top three for any recruiting class maybe than I've ever seen. it's uh it's pretty stupid how athletic all those guys are but Igbuka is really super athletic he's just smooth. He's already a, a pretty big kid and he runs so well and his he just was just running just past people like they were standing still and then defensively he looked really really good too but I can see why people like him on offense cuz he just has a knack for getting open he can he runs great routes but he also can, he can blow by guys too at his size that's a great trait and then finally um sorry Racinelli from Hawkinson uh, another kid who's kind of a a two-way star for them. I can see why they like him on offense because he's great going in the ball with with his ball skills. When the ball is in the air, he's going to go attack it. And he's going to get it. He's obviously shown that because he's very productive. But I also like what he did defensively too. Uh, he had a few picks. Um, he had one really, really nice pick where it was like the ball was kind of quick out of the quarterback's hand and he literally just stabbed it two hands uh, kind of going wide, and it was almost like he was going across his body because his body was going one way, and all of a sudden the hands just stick out and snag it. Um, that showed to me that he's he's an elite athlete. And so it was really good to see those guys. I'm glad we saw them because only Stillicum kind of made the final four teams uh, of all those guys that have been offered by Washington. Um, Eastside Catholic obviously made the final. They lost to Graham Kapowson. Uh, Graham Kapowson's uh, Nathan Thomas their quarterback had a really really good day and Malachi Roberson also had a really good day I know he was the MVP of the seven on seven out of us at uh, Robinswood Park the week before which was a really big deal and so for them Graham Kapowson won back-to-back seven on sevens and this is the year after Dylan Morris left them so you the, the Graham Kapowson's in pretty good hands I'd say right now
0: my sight of the day my favorite sight of the day Offensive line coach, Scott Huff, with the dual stroller with two kids, wheeling it around. He had his hands full. Uh, By the way, let's make that uh, the uh, contest for – we've got some betting slips. When we were down in Vegas for the uh, Pac-12 tournament, I purchased some betting slips. 30-1 to Washington to win the national championship. They're $20 tickets. You could win up to $600 if Washington wins the national championship. Just go ahead and make a post on the – board kim's site of the day and then put scott huff with the dual stroller and uh, first person to do so will get a betting slip out to you we'll go ahead and send that out to you chance to win six hundred dollars and go ahead and just post that on the hardcore football board um real quick not a lot to talk about on the adidas uh move over switch over whatever you want to call it Uh, That takes effect July 1st, and with my conversations with um, Jen Cohen, it's not going to be some huge splash where everything's ready to go. They've got to outfit a lot of teams with home, away, neutral um, uniforms, and just practice gear and all that stuff, but July 1st is the date that's supposed to happen, and expect some pop-up stores with Adidas, so it'll be interesting, and hopefully in the next week or so, we'll get a lot more information to pass out to you guys. I know... A lot of people are freaked out about, you know, any potential uniform changes. But Chris, you've known Jen for a long time. Can you see, I mean, there's not going to be any radical change from the uniforms. I think if it's going to be anything, it's going to be real, real minor, maybe an alternate black, an alternate white. But uh, Jen is real big on staying traditional. I wouldn't anticipate anything major on that.
1: No, I wouldn't. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not really expecting huge changes for the uniform from last year to this year other than instead of the swoosh you got the three stripes so obviously it's going to have a little bit of a different cut and a different look because clearly adidas and nike are have two different philosophies and two different ideas about the team should look but i don't think i don't think the the uniforms per se are going to go through some sort of massive creative overhaul between last year and this year. Now Can you
0: imagine Adidas going to Coach Pete with a radical change? Can you imagine Coach Pete's reaction?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I I mean, I'm sure he has certain ideas of, of kind of what he would like to see. But ultimately the way I understand the creative process is that the the design people at, at Adidas will just like Nike would come up with a handful of ideas and then the the athletic department in conjunction with Pete and and his guys in the football department would kind of throw around what they like, and then everyone would kind of come to a consensus. I mean, at least that's what I understand. But
0: and Coach Pete's always been on record to say he loves he just loves the the traditional purple and gold yeah. uniforms. That's his favorite. Yeah,
1: I mean, and and I don't think you'll find a lot of objection from Washington fans. That's for sure. And uh, you know, but I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, we've already seen some some kind of sly, you know, looks at. You know, some of the some of the coaches wearing, you know, maybe like an Adidas hat or an Adidas shirt or something. So I think there's been a little bit of an, uh, not so much an unveiling, but kind of every once in a while we see a little tiny sneak peek of what's going on. And so uh, haven't really seen a ton out there, but just every once in a while I've seen one. So it's going to be interesting what they do uh, in terms of some grand unveiling. Haven't heard of it, about anything, but I'm sure they've got something on tap. Yeah, we'll keep
0: you guys informed if we get any information on that, and probably we're about another week away from things starting to get out to us. So, uh, a few questions from some of the subscribers, uh, Chris. With all the with all the visitors in on official visits this week, why weren't there any commits? That's from Lars, by the way.
1: Well, Lars, um, yeah, that's a question I think for the for the Washington recruiters for those guys. I, to me, it's. Uh, I think it's pretty, I think it kind of falls in line with kind of what you would expect the Washington guys to do in terms of wine and dine them, show them around, get them with the players so that they can get a real sense of what the program's like from that end, and then, you know, set it to them straight, let them know what's going on, and then go from there. Now, if kids were were ready to commit, that's one thing. But I think a lot of those guys still have official visits that they're setting up that they're going to be taking on uh, either this, this weekend or next weekend. I know um, I know the one, the tight end, is going to, to uh, LSU, Cole Taylor, uh, later on this month. And, and And I know that there's other guys that are taking official visits as well still. Some might even be taking official visits into the fall, which is a little unusual considering most of these guys would want to be doing this because they want to make an early decision. So that in mind i think these guys the way that they operate it falls in line with the idea of hey we want you to to make a commitment to washington because we think you're a great fit for us but we also want you to go home think about it let the visit wear off a little bit and if you know in a few days if you still feel just as strong about things and just as good about the way you felt when you were on your official visit and, and you really truly envision yourself at wash you're going to cut the process short, then by all means, let's go in. Because we're, we're 100% in. And if you're 100% in, let's end this thing right now. So I think that's the way they approach it. And, and right now, thing,
0: the other thing too is, Chris, for them to take a commitment from a kid, the kid has to be done with the process done and if they still want to take other visits they still want to check things out they're not 100% sure they're not going to take the commitment now if they wanted to press a kid and get a commitment this weekend I'm sure they probably could have got a couple it's not the way they work
1: well and I, and I don't know if this is lessons learned maybe from the Asa Turner recruitment you know if this is something where you know obviously every every prospect and their families are different so you kind of have, have to approach them differently but it, it, as far as it goes you know if the, if they don't if they don't feel like the kid is all the way in then they're not gonna they're not gonna push it they just won't because it doesn't It's it's like uh it's like the old fran thing you can pay me now or pay me later the whole thing is it, they still can't sign until mid-december at the very very earliest so these kids still have a lot of time to go, and there's still a lot of options out there where other teams can come in and try to make their pitch, even if they were committed to Washington. We've seen it many, 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 many times. And we also, Kim, as you know, a lot of times when a kid makes a commitment, that's when their recruitment really starts because now the other teams know what's going on. So you well, know, sh- in that sense, I don't, th- I don't think they're going to push these things because these other five kids that are committed currently – that weren't necessarily on visits. Th- those guys have been in the boat for a while and they understand what's going on. They've gone in there, they've done their due diligence. And I think the Washington coaches have, have kind of really put the screws on them and said, Hey, are you in? Cause don't commit unless you are done. Like well, let's times.
0: talk about this, what they did with Sawyer Rockanelli. They probably could have got him to commit a lot earlier. What did they do with Sawyer? Told him to go to UCLA. Right. Go take a look. Right. He went to UCLA, saw what it was. Okay, he's ready. They were ready to take the commitment. And I think that's what you're going to see. I wouldn't be surprised this week if they wind up with one or two commitments at some point. Washington's gonna fill their class. So whether they do it in early June, late June, July or August, they're going to fill their class, which leads to another question uh, from James where he's talking about you know getting recruits, taking visits at this point in time as opposed to during the season or after the season, and Chris, when we've been doing this for a long time, and it used to be that they wanted all those commits, uh, all the visits in December, but uh, with the early signing period, that's no longer realistic.
1: Well, no, actually, it is very realistic. That's that's what they did last year. That's what they want. They only they only had four official visitors in June last last year. Now they they've done ten this year because more and more kids are looking to take advantage of those opportunities because that NCAA rule where you can take now uh, spring official visits is just a couple years old. I mean, that last year was the first year you could do it. So I think Washington at that time was still kind of grappling with this idea of how can we possibly have these guys in on a June official visit when the ideal is to get their last thought, get their last visit, literally right before the mid-December signing date you know you want they want to create that that momentum that group mentality that's why they had you know 10 to 12 guys on each of those first December because there's two usually two December weekends right before that mid-year signing date and they try to you know they try to get those guys all together and create this bond where they can all see themselves playing with each other and playing in the program together that's what they want they want to create that bond and that identity and, um, you know, it, it, you know to, to try to do that in June is tough, but I also have to remind people, too, that they, of the four kids that took official visits last June, two of them ended up signing with Washington, and one of them was Asa Turner, and then the other one was Cameron Williams, who killed it this last spring. So it, it all depends on the kid as well. And that's why when you're dealing with prospects, you're dealing with humans, you're dealing with families, These things can there's so many variables and everyone's going to be different. And just because a kid takes a June official visit doesn't mean they aren't going to be in the boat 100% once they do make a commitment. Because um, again, like you, you mentioned, Kim, there's so many guys taking official visits nowadays because they want to get the process over with. They want to finish it off before their senior season so they can concentrate on trying to win state titles, for instance. And that's that's the big trend in Washington. They're not comfortable with that. Chris Peterson, you know, in a perfect world for him, he wouldn't want any official visits being done in June. But they're having to adjust, and it's not a matter of complaining about it. It's just a matter of how can they make it work within the structure that they've that they've already kind of created for themselves that's been successful. It's been tested over time. Robert asking about negative recruiting.
0: Um, it's been going on since
1: uh, time
0: started. And um, the better you are, the more dirt will be thrown at you. There were some reports of uh, – some schools calling the OKG program kind of a racist kind of deal. But, you know, the negative recruiting has always gone on. You know, we've got stories back from New Heisel and Lambright, you know, with a lot of the schools with the negative recruiting going on. And I'm sure that the Washington coaches engage in it somehow. But I think some schools just take it to a different level. But it's something that's out there. It's been going on for a long time. It's never going to go away, Chris.
1: Yeah, and I think to be honest with you, it's I think it's something that's more kind of from coach to coach and how comfortable they are in kind of opening up that Pandora's box. And I'm sure that there are coaches on Washington staff that do it. Um, but you're right, it's going back all the way to remembering when um you'd hear other programs doing depth charts of Washingtons, which had no correlation to reality and uh and other things where they would they would be bad mouthing the Washington staff. But you know what? I mean, that, is, that has gone on, like you said, from the beginning of time. And it's going to keep going on. As far as I'm concerned, if I'm a Washington coach, i take it as a compliment. I would take it as a fact of, hey, if those guys have to go that route to outdo us or to try to beat us, then that tells me what we're doing is good. That tells me what we're doing is right. And so when you talk about OK- OKG or you talk about Built for Life or you talk about this and that, and you hear other programs are starting to bring up ideas that um, somehow Washington has tailored their programs to a certain type of kid or a certain type of race or things like that, I mean, you know what? That's where if you're a, if you're a family, if, if, you're, if you're a family that has a top prospect and they're looking at Pac-12 programs and Washington's one of them, just do your due diligence. Just, you know, the fact of, of putting guys in the pros. Putting uh guys in positions where they're being successful, winning championships, I would think those things would speak a lot louder than some depth chart that some other team has put together or some spiel about how they think Washington is catering to a certain type of kid and it's not their kid. How would you know i mean i would you know yeah, i
0: I wouldn't worry too much about the negative recruiting, like I said it goes on, and you know Pete and company. They probably just ignore it. I know that they get upset every once in a while. There's always something that goes on, but it's just part of the deal with recruiting. There's going to be guys out there that are great recruiters and respectful, and there's going to be those negative guys out there. That ain't going away. It's well, always going to be like that.
1: Kim, one thing we talked about on set on uh, Sunday during the during the passing camp that I thought was really interesting is that I talked to – you know, a couple different coaches of a couple different teams. And and we're talking about kids that were of of different recruiting classes, like last year's class and this year's class and going forward. And I thought it was remarkable how talking to these guys and, and getting their sense of how Washington recruits their guys, and every single one of them used a word, and it was transparent. And it, and it wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't one of those things where I asked these guys and they were all standing next to each other and they heard what each other was saying. They weren't. These were guys over the hours we had seen on the sidelines or in the stands or what have you. And I just kind of picked their brains a little bit. And they said to a coach that every single one of them has been completely straight up with, with them and their guys in terms of where they stand in the pecking order you know how they see them, whether they think they're going to be offered or not, or where they're at in the process, and it, it was incredible to me how consistent all these guys were in terms of their response on how how do you feel like Washington this the Washington staff's recruiting your guys, and they were and they said they're they've been incredibly transparent, they're straight up, they tell us exactly how it is, and that's all we can ask as coaches is that they just let us know where our guys are and what they can expect and and where they fit and all those things. I thought it was remarkable.
0: Just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. Again, huskystadium at gmail.com. Subject line newsletter will go ahead and get you set up uh, with those daily updates. Not so much daily this time of year, but definitely during the season. But you'll probably get at least three to four as well as any breaking news alerts this time of year. Anything else we need to cover, Uh, Chris?
1: (laughs) No, I, I I can't think of anything unless there's other questions uh
0: no no um again where we expect podcasts to be a bigger part of what we do uh doing it more regularly we've been wanting to do this for quite some time and the i don't know if the resources weren't available but the support wasn't really there uh to make them a big part of what we do and i think you're going to see a lot bigger push from the network and Make it a lot easier for us to do as well. For all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Greenolds along with Chris Fetters. Go Dogs.